Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. As tribes work to revitalize their language and further connect with their culture, how much should they incorporate help from outside the tribe? However well-meaning that help may be. That's one question we're discussing today as we consider the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's interactions with the Lakota Language Consortium. After years of collaboration, the organization is fielding concerns about the tribe's ability to now control the recordings, texts, and documents generated in the process. We'll hear those concerns and what the consortium has to say, coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Art Hughes, in for Antonio Gonzalez. The state of New Jersey is suing the Ford Motor Company for dumping paint sludge and other toxic waste on Ramapo-Lenape land for decades, beginning in the 1960s. Tribal members say the contamination is the source of numerous illnesses and even deaths. CBS News reports the land contains arsenic, chromium, lead, and other toxins, even after several cleanup attempts. The waste comes from the Mawe auto plant that dumped thousands of tons of waste into the forests and mines in the area. The commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection told CBS the automaker's actions are the definition of environmental injustice. The state is seeking an undisclosed amount of money. Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. has reversed a decision to stop flying the Oklahoma state flag at tribal facilities. Coco TV News reports Hoskins signed an executive order earlier this month banning the state flag on Cherokee property, but he changed his mind after council members and citizens objected. Hoskin originally said putting the Oklahoma flag on par with the tribal flag was inconsistent with tribal sovereignty. He says he's since been persuaded by concerns that the action could deepen divisions between the tribe and the state. The U.S. Supreme Court ruling that handed tribes expanded criminal jurisdiction has been the source of disagreements between tribes and Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. The state of New Mexico has reached a $32 million settlement with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency over the 2015 Gold King mine spill. Contractors working for the EPA caused the release of thousands of gallons of mine drainage into the San Juan and Animas Rivers. The spill contained acids and toxic heavy metals that disrupted water use, including drawdowns for drinking water and agriculture, downstream on onto the Navajo Nation. The state filed suit against the federal government in 2016. Officials secured an $11 million settlement from the mining company on behalf of water users in 2021. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer rejected plans by the Little River Band of Ottawa Indians for an off-reservation casino and resort The proposal for the $180 million project has been in the works for more than 14 years. Because it's not on tribal land, it needs both state and federal approval. The Interior Department signed off on the plan in December 2020, starting the clock for the state to act. MLive.com reports Whitmer informed the U.S. Department of Interior that she can't approve the Little River Band project until she knows there's a decision on the status of the Grand River Band which would likely pursue their own casino if they are granted federal recognition. The Peacock Network show Rutherford Falls is premiering its second season. The comedy show has a Native storyline supported by a number of Native writers, producers, and actors. KLCC's Brian Bull catches up with Lakota actress Jana Schmieding about what's in store for the show. 
Schmeeding plays Regan Wells, a member of the fictitious Minashanka tribe, and friend to Nathan Rutherford, heir to the town's colonial legacy. That legacy and their friendship was tested last season, but season two suggests they're on to new misadventures. Adversity makes us stronger. No, Reek, is this sweater too sexy? For what? What about a vest? Schmeeding says with the world building of Rutherford Falls established in season one, the writers cut loose with season two. It's a very comedy forward season. We have things like a Halloween episode. <laughs> we are doing some goofy stuff. Regan decides that she wants to apply for a plot of land on her res. So we see tribal bureaucracy this season. We have a pretending episode. Rutherford Falls has won praise for its portrayal of Native Americans due to its team of indigenous writers. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. And I'm Art Hughes. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Stronghearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We can all agree that revitalizing native languages is a goal that deserves significant attention and resources. A tribe's language is the backbone of its identity and sovereignty, and most tribes, especially those with dwindling numbers of fluent speakers, have numerous programs and initiatives to keep their languages thriving. But how much of that effort, if any, should be put into the hands of those outside the tribe, even if those outsiders are helping? The Standing Rock Sioux Tribe recently answered that question by rejecting any further help from the Lakota Language Consortium, an organization you've heard on this show several times in the past. We'll hear about their concerns in a moment, but it boils down to giving legal control of elder recordings, textbooks, and education materials to any outside entity, something that has proven problematic for tribes throughout history. We have guests today, of course, who are close to this issue, but we also want to hear from our listeners and encourage you to share your thoughts on this important topic. Join our discussion by calling 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are now open. I want to introduce our first guest today. His name is Graham Lee Brewer. He is an investigative reporter for NBC News. He is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and he's speaking with us from Norman, Oklahoma. Graham, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Graham, you wrote an article earlier this month that extensively detailed this issue we're talking about today. It was titled, Lakota Elders Helped a White Man Preserve Their Language, Then He Tried to Sell It Back to Them. Can you give us a brief summary of exactly what happened there at Standing Rock so our listeners have a better understanding of what we're talking about today? Certainly. Uh, the Lakota Language Consortium has been working with not, not just 
the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, but uh, other Lakota-speaking uh, tribes in the areas north and South Dakota for well over a decade now. Um, it, I believe it was first founded in 2002, um, so it, it, it's you know been doing this for a couple decades now, and um, that that work really involves uh, interviewing elders, recording uh, different uh, words to add to the dictionary, reviewing those entries and um, yeah really creating a, a written form of the Lakota language um, what a lot of people are, are referring to is a kind of a new standardized orthography um, uh, and um, that, that has really caught a lot of people's attention uh, on Standing Rock uh, kind of thanks to Ray Taken Alive um, who is a very vocal and outspoken Lakota uh, language teacher um, Ray's TikTok account is actually kind of how I first found the issue. Um, he's been quite prolific online, um, voicing his, his opposition to the methods of the, of the nonprofit. Um, and, and really Ray's concern, I think, was, um, and, and the concern that I think the, the tribal council eventually shared when they passed the banishment resolution was, um, who controls the data that is being collected? Um, who has access to it? And, and who can control, um, who, who accesses it? And so, I think that really kind of came to define the issue for a lot of people. It's not necessarily um, the problems with the, the standardization of the language, although that is a big issue for some people. Um, but it really kind of came to head when I think some people started asking for some of this data back and, and a lot of tribal counselors realized that um, that data hadn't already been shared with the tribe in full. So um, the, whether that be raw audio recordings or translation notes, things of that nature. and so. It, for many, it became the uh, uh, issue of indigenous status sovereignty, and um, and and I think that's what really led to the to the resolution that you saw uh, passed last month. Okay, so uh, for a number of years, there was this partnership between the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and the Lakota Language Consortium, and. They interviewed elders, they recorded uh, people talking, they wrote books, uh, different sources of different types of curriculum materials. And um, so the contention is, is, is that then there was uh, a tribal member, a family that, that wanted that information. They, wa they wanted access to those tapes, right? And then when they requested that in those resources, um, the LLC denied them that information. Are those resources? I, so, you know, I think that Ray was, I don't, actually, I don't think I know, Ray was able to get copies of, of his grandmother Dolores' recordings. Um, but I, I think his issue and other people's issue came up with um, sharing that knowledge, sharing the information. So essentially what the Lakota Language Consortium's position, as best I understand it is, is that they have put time, resources, and um, and, and, you know, money into creating this curriculum. The dictionary itself is free, um, the app is free, but, but the teaching materials that you mentioned, textbooks, uh, uh, classroom curriculum, those things, they, they spent time and their expertise developing in a way that's effective um, in passing down the language. And so their argument is that, you know, we, we, we created this product and we have ownership over it. Um, but uh, other people, uh, lots of tribal citizens, and it sounds like, you know, 14 of the tribal council members who voted for the passage of resolution kind of say that, well, this data is actually ours, too. We share it. We share in the ownership of it, and we should have access to it if we are, you know, Lakota people. And so I, I think that that's when Ray really kind of started testing the limits of the copyright by 
kind of open sourcing some of these lesson plans through a language learning app and posting them to Facebook. And, and that's when he received a, a cease and desist, or, or sorry, a copyright infringement notice. And the, uh, the languages that he was open sourcing were removed. And, and I think his argument and, and others is that if, uh, if the tribe also owns this data and the data was created and paid for in part by the tribe to help us, the tribal citizens, understand the language, then what's the problem? Why, why don't I have uh, ready, open, and free access to it at all times? Well, Graham, thanks for that background. Our next guest is Alex Firethunder, who is speaking with us from Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. He is a Lakota language instructor, incoming deputy director for the Lakota Language Consortium, and a musician. He is Oglala Lakota. Alex, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning. <clears throat> Alex, what did you think of Graham's article? Um, upon reading it, I was, uh, immediately, uh, very disappointed. And the reason for that is that, uh, it, it, it came off very biased and one-sided and it, it really silenced a lot of the voices of, uh, Lakota people that I know for a fact he talked to, uh, myself being one of them. Um, I, I was interviewed by, by Graham for around an hour and shared a lot of my experiences and my perspectives and, and personal moments with my, with my family, teaching my sons Lakota and some of the materials that have really helped uh, my family and my boys to become speakers. My son is uh, two years old, and he is a uh, first language Lakota speaker um, so far in his life. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, when I read the article, I, there was no mention of, of me. There was no mention of any of my points or any quotes or any perspectives that I shared. And in addition to, to, to not, not to make it all about me, um, there was some other elders that I know sent letters, uh, emails, and I know that Graham was also present at the tribal council meeting in Standing Rock where uh, other, uh, other perspectives were, were expressed. And so I was disappointed to see that none of those opinions were kind of highlighted or, or given any uh, platform in the article. Alex, issues surrounding the copyright, that seems to be the crux of Graham's article. Can you respond to, to some of those points regarding the copyright and LLC's ownership of those copyrights and how those copyrights were enforced there when dealing with the Standing Rock tribe? Um, yeah, so, you know, there's, there's been a history of Lakota language dictionaries, grammars, and you know even just literature in Lakota before the LLC even existed prior to 2002, and you know even after LLC's um, existence, other publishers have come up with uh, other literature and, and books and, and materials in Lakota, and they're all copyrighted. And uh, I think one of the misconceptions um, that that uh, Ray Taken Alive, who uh, Graham mentioned, um, one of the misconceptions that is promoted is that the Lakota Language Consortium copyrighted the language and it's just the standard procedure of you know when you publish something it's copyrighted so that others can't copy it and make money off of it um and it's not to say that teachers can't make a copy and use it for you know for homework with their students and things like that and i have done that myself <laughs> um and and furthermore, you know, the copyright doesn't stop people from using it or accessing it. In fact, it gives access. It gives everybody access to these materials. And okay, then, uh, what you're saying then, 
Um, so it's, it sounds like there's there. That's where a lot of this debate is, 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 is how those copyrights were enforced, because I, I think some of these other opinions and some of these other viewpoints are going to say that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and we're going to hear from some of those other voices as well. Uh, shortly, we're going to have to take a break in, in about another minute. But I do want to provide a disclosure. Uh, Ray Taken Alive, his name has been mentioned twice now on the show. And we did reach out to Ray, and unfortunately, he couldn't be on the show today. Uh, but he, he, he was, we did request him to be on the show. So uh, <clears throat> maybe we could be kind of careful about, about quoting him directly or, or making any direct uh, references to, to things that he has said are done in light of the fact that he is not here to advocate for himself. If we have any listeners uh, that want to comment on this topic, it's uh, it's an interesting one. 1-800-996-2848. We were talking about control of resources regarding a language curriculum, a Lakota language curriculum and uh, a relationship between a nonprofit organization and the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe that uh, <clears throat> the relationship did not go so well once it was determined that um, there was a disagreement and there were some, some challenges there with regard to ownership of those resources that were created. We're going to talk a lot more about this topic. So the phone number, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back after this break. Most Americans have ditched the face masks and are returning to public life close to pre-pandemic levels. The vaccines have certainly cut the risks, but some threats from COVID remain. We'll hear about keeping track of persistent infections and the consequences of long COVID, coming up on the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe banishing the nonprofit, the Lakota Language Consortium. Today, we're hearing about what led to that decision. If you want to join our conversation with a comment or question, you can call us at 1-800-996-2948. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we're speaking right now with Alex Fire Thunder. And Alex, um, what else do you want to add to this conversation? What else do you want listeners to understand about the Lakota Language Consortium and, and this whole debate now with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe over how these resources were, were managed and controlled? Mm -hmm. um, thank you for coming back to me. And uh, 
I think I'd like to back up a little bit and just uh, reiterate, I, I think you referred to the Lakota Language Consortium as an outsider organization. And I'd like to reiterate that it is, it's a nonprofit, which means it's not run by any of the you know, specific Lakota tribal governments, but that it is a Lakota-led organization. Um, our board is created of uh, Lakota elders, Lakota fluent speakers. Um, we do have linguists. We have Lakota language advocates, uh, Lakota teachers, all on, on the board of directors, as well as in the staff. Um, and, uh, you know, we, but Alex, we do support I'm, tribal sovereignty okay, I, and data sovereignty. Okay, but just just to be to be clear, there are non-native people that that have high-ranking roles within the Lakota Language Consortium. Can sure can you sure confirm we, that? we believe in collaboration? Yes, yes, for sure. We believe in collaboration, and and um, collaborating with others that have like-minded goals, and and utilizing people's expertise and talents to uh, to do the to 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 follow through with our, our mission, which is to revitalize Lakota language. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Alex. And what else did you want to add beyond that? Um, beyond that, I, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, the, like as, as uh, Graham stated, these, these projects have been decades in, in the works. And um, a lot of the tribal leaders of the past, um, I'm, you know, tribal government kind of refresh every, every two years we have elections. And so a lot of the ones who are in council now may not have uh, been around to or may not have been paying attention to remember and be familiar with the resolutions that have been previously passed and, and the partnerships and collaborations that have been made. And uh, they, many of the leaders of the past were quite aware of, of these projects and how they would be conducted. And the elders that, that were uh, you know, allowed to be recorded, they knew um, what was happening and they supported these projects even after they were, you know, they saw that the, a curriculum was created and made available um, for sale to schools to, to purchase. Um, and I want to also reiterate that we are a nonprofit organization. So when we sell books, it's not to like make a profit and no one's salary increases from sales. Um, these are proceeds that go back into the organization by law legally. Um, and, the, you know, this is all for the mission of the language. Uh, and this is, you know, elders from Staniok invited um, the LLC and, and initiated events like the Lakota Summer Institute, which is a summer uh, three-week uh, language course where, you know, rela beautiful relationships were, were established um, around the language. And okay. I just want to reiterate, there's, there's so much positive work um, that has been done and that needs to continue to be done if we really want to um, put our minds to the language and put the language first. Alex, I want to ask you one more question before we want, move on to another guest. Do you think that the Standing Rock Sioux Tribal Council conducted due diligence before making their decision to cut ties with LLC? I think there are some information gaps and, and some more, you know, information. There, there's more information that they could have been educated with. Um, I don't hold them, you know, I don't blame the council themselves. I, I know uh, as an Oglala Sioux tribal member here in Pine Ridge, that our council has so many uh, issues to worry about, and um, <clears throat> so I, okay. I don't I don't hold them in any way. Like I don't blame them uh, okay. for not knowing, but I, I do sure. think that there's a lot of information, and and also I think it's also important. One big detail that was absent from the NBC article that Graham wrote was that. At the council meeting that they had, the first council meeting on 
uh, I think it was April 22nd, or sorry, April, uh, April 5th, uh, 2022. Okay. Uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's official uh, language and culture department uh, director and other employees, they publicly spoke and said that there was uh, agreements that were being worked on, negotiated to transfer the raw data that's being discussed here to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and they would own the copyright. And okay. they, they said that was in the process and that that uh, the holdup was on their end, whereas the article stated that that the Standing Rock lost patience with the LLC when it's 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 okay. not that way. Okay. All right. Alex, thanks for, for all these insights, all this background. We do have to move along on the show. We have other guests. And speaking with us now from Standing Rock is Wanaya Locke. She is a community organizer, indigenous doula, a former Lakota language teacher, currently transcribing Lakota language. She is Atna Dene, Lakota Dakota, and Anishinaabe. Wanaya, welcome to the show. Correction. My name is Wania. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Wania. I'm sorry. Okay, Winnie. Um, so, Standing Rock Sioux Tribe felt strongly enough about this issue to banish the Lakota Language Consortium. Can you tell us about that? Well, just from my personal experience and documentation that I have, um, I just want to clear the air that um, LCI, which is Lakota Cultural Institute, which is now under the education of, of Standing Rock. <laughs> did start the initiation of the process to retrieve the data back in 2018. They were officially sent uh, a certified letter in 2019 requesting it. For whatever reason, LLC did not respond to um, Standing Rock Education Department at that time. <clears throat> and so this process was started in 2018 and became official legal avenues in 2019. And so LLC had exactly five years up to date to return the data that was given. It was actually a certified letter that was sent by Mike Faith, who was the tribal chairman in 2019. 2020, the, the pandemic hit and, you know, that was a, the structure of all tribes was tested and it was a really fragile time. And so I just really want to stress that, that Standing Rock has been advocating to obtain the data back since 2018 until now. And LLC did not comply until 2020, until there started being a headway of uh, social media movement that that created, like, we got to have this discussion now. Um, I also okay. want to reiterate that, that because LCI did admit that within the last year of 2021, that Standing Rock tribe lost their in-house attorney to advise them and that's why they put a halt on it um halt on negotiations with llc and obtaining the data back okay. and so i just really okay. want to stress that that there's there this is a long time fight a long time discussion and it, it's really multi-level and really really heavy one thing that <clears throat> the narrative that i don't like about llc is them um saying that it's really manipulative tactics that uh, just because their encounter with LLC and TLC is really safe for them doesn't mean it is safe for other people. And, you know, like when I read about Pablo Akama and them physically having to have their police escort TLC back to retrieve their data, that was horrendous. And to say that was a manipulative tactic, 
I felt that was the extreme ultimate gaslighting that could be okay. done because obviously that that was a real event that took place and that was a real harm and those things need to be discussed and at any given point um LLC okay. could have driven back the point that the like we are willing to change our consent forms we are willing to work with community members and establishing a better avenue of archiving the language and preserving our language and admit the harm that was done through the individual consent forms. Wania, in addition to these um, accusations of these manipulative tactics that, that LLC has launched, what do you really want people to know about this issue? Listeners all over Native America, what do they need to understand? What is at stake here? So, <clears throat> The data sovereignty is really important and you know like we as indigenous people across north america south america know that our intellectual property is valuable um one example that i've always given is like you look you think of aspirin like the you know that was an indigenous medicine that was patented and copyrighted um from an outside source and none of those resources come back into indigenous communities and that's what's really valuable is to have that intellectual property, that data to know um, how to maneuver and guide through this world that we live in right now. Um, and so what I really stress to everyone is what is your tribe doing about intellectual property rights? What kind of procedures, resolutions, codes, policies that do you have in place? And then I really strongly recommend that they look at NARF Native American Rights Foundation because they have a whole page on intellectual properties and the, the things that they're working towards to help preserve intellectual property rights for indigenous people across uh, North America. Well, Anya, thanks for coming on the show today and providing more insights, more background on this issue. Speaking with us now from Pullman, Washington is Tipizwi Tolman. She is a student of Indigenous Language Revitalization and a board member on the Lakota Language Consortium. She is Standing Rock Sioux. Tippi Zewi, thank you for coming on the show today. Hello. Hi. Can you uh, describe for our listeners uh, what kind of work do you do with LLs, with uh, Lakota Language Consortium? I'm currently um, on the board of directors. Our board is comprised of fluent speakers, elders, and um, Lakota people who have a common goal. And that common goal is, is what? The revitalization, the reclamation, and the maintenance of our language to be spoken by everybody and anybody um, who is willing to learn and do it. So we keep going back to this issue of, of ownership and, and control of these resources and workbooks, texts, recordings. I just want to ask you, who do you think, who do you think owns that? Who do you think owns those materials in your opinion? It belongs to all of us. The collaboration, it, they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the collaboration of our visionary leaders at Standing Rock. Um, and they're the ones who led the effort, who reached out and saw that there was an issue with a lack of 
teaching effective teaching and learning methodologies within their classrooms as fluent speakers, and they want it to maximize their abilities as fluent speaker teachers of our language in general education classrooms. And they reached out to LLC, and through that effort um, and that and that relationship, which I was privy to <clears throat> and experienced firsthand, um, my lived experience um, has just been so positive and beautiful and I was a first-hand witness and I lived the experience of seeing the collaboration of people who have that common goal and who can work hard together regardless of if there's sometimes a mismatch or anything but the common goal um, we work together and those materials were created I was a part of many meetings where there was edits being made collaboratively between um, the program as well as all the elders. So I guess um, what I would like to challenge our people and those who are listening is to find your information gaps and then realize that the Lakota language, the intergenerational transmission of our Lakota language is at a complete, it's at a complete standstill. We have no fluent speakers who have children fluent speakers or who have grandchildren fluent speakers. And we've been at a complete standstill for decades. And we have to create intentionally spaces and places and moments in our lives where language can be learned, heard, spoken, written. It doesn't matter because right now where we are is really critical. We're in a window, a closing window of opportunity to maximize our time together as Lakota people with our fluent first language speakers. And I encourage us to work together versus fighting or arguing or topping each other or putting each other down or being dismissive of each other in English. And let's come together and speak our language while we have the time that we do together because our time is going to run out. Let's go to the phones. We have Petra listening on KLND in Standing Rock. Petra, you're on the air. Hello, Petra. Let's take another caller. We have Dusty listening on Keeley in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Dusty, you're on the air. Hello. Petra, um, um, I am calling in to just say that the the opinion that the board members are speaking out against that of of people holding data sovereignty as a self empowered movement is a very it's a popular stance among people in my community, but the people who believe that the movement should be self empowered and that we shouldn't have to collaborate with white settlers. Um, people don't want to come out right and say it because of the abuse and the oppression and the, the everything that we've been through. And we're operating from a place of fear in some spaces. And I also want to challenge the people on the board, do the materials that have been collaborated on, do they create fluent speakers? Do they close the gap of intergenerational language transmission? And if so... Is there a non-native person in between that? And that's the concern. The people want a more natural 
intergenerational language transmission movement. And there's a large percentage of us who have not been chosen by the LLC to participate in collaboration. And there is a large movement that is also doing things alongside of what LLC is doing. So I just want to make that statement and pose those questions, maybe not to be answered, but to be thought about. Thank you. Thank you, Dusty. Those are really good questions, and, and we're going we're gonna to ask those questions after the break of, of the board members that we have here on the show. And, and, and I think all of our listeners today w- would like to learn a little bit more about how this language program works, the actual curriculum and the different players that are involved in, in making that available there at the, at the community. So great question, great call. Anyone else with a question or comment, 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are open. We do have to take another quick break, but we'll be right back and we'll jump back into this conversation. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're taking a look at language revitalization for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and who should be in control of language resources. Join our conversation with a question or comment. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking now with Tipizwi Tolman. Tipizwi, we just heard from from a caller and um, they say that uh, the folks that, that, uh, that support LLC and uh, their arguments are a small minority, and and the caller had questions with regards to to how the program is actually implemented. How do these materials actually work? How are they distributed? And and I'd like to to ask you and learn a little more about that because you know this relationship w- was longstanding and, and just before things went south, before this relationship between LLC and the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe uh, took a turn for the worst. Was was the program working? Was it successful? Were people learning the language? Were you increasing the number of fluent speakers there at Standing Rock? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. Um, the the program was working. It wasn't, and nothing will be. It, so they create resources, and resources are given to individuals, and individuals have to decide for themselves what they're going to do with the resources how much they're going to maximize their own personal learning, things of that nature. <clears throat> so the resources cannot create, <clears throat> excuse me, cannot create fluency. <clears throat> you have, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. It's an undertaking. It's a personal undertaking and a commitment. Um, and they have been, the materials have been extremely supportive um, in my own personal commitment and journey um, to reclaim and, create language in my life. Um, I met my husband, who was a fellow Lakota language teacher. I'm a former Lakota language preschool immersion teacher. We met each other there. Um, We have a family where we 
use our language as much as possible and in a way, in a manner in which I could not have imagined when I was 20 years old. Now that I'm 42, I have a much more language-rich uh, life. I, I value and love my language, and those resources have been super effective in supporting me as I love and want to learn my language. And no resource <clears throat> is going to create a fluent speaker that's upon our individual tribal members to decide um, for themselves and their willingness to put in that effort. And Alex is a, is a really great example of utilizing material, um, being committed, and now committing to only speaking Lakota to his children. His children are amazing and, and have flourished in our language because of that. So the resources are super effective tools, um, but they cannot create fluency. Our own people, um, that's, that's on us and our shoulders, and that's our work to do. Let's hear another perspective on this issue. Uh, speaking with us from Providence, Rhode Island, is Jennifer Weston. She is the co-author of the resolution to ban the Lakota Language Consortium from the tribe. She is Standing Rock Sioux. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you as well, Jennifer. Jennifer, do you take issue with the LLC's methodology that we're hearing about today? I don't take issue with any of their methodologies. What our resolution was really intended to do and what it explicitly states is that our Standing Rock Oyate, our citizens and our tribal council seek to strengthen protections and to explicitly assert our intellectual property rights in perpetuity. And we use that um, close quote there in perpetuity. We lifted that directly from the permission forms um, the release forms that the Lakota Language Consortium has used with our elders for the past several decades. Um, I've personally spoken with at least one of the Lakota Language Consortium linguists to express my reservations and um, my fears about the ways that that type of release form is extractive and it's commercial, and we really don't want to continue commercializing and extracting our language from our elders and our communities and our families without proper attribution and without proper local controls and local expertise. Um, and we really want to foreground and restore the presence and centrality of our first language speakers in this process. Um, I, I think that's really what our resolution is addressing, and it, it talks about um, returning authority back to our elder speakers and our customary leadership and it requests return of and access to our Lakota and Dakota language materials recordings transcripts and and that's really what we're what we're talking about we're talking about our intellectual property as a people as a nation and it's not about um, you know the work that that LLC has accomplished um, but we are in a new phase of tribal sovereignty, and we've asked our leadership to to protect our intellectual property um, in the 21st century. This is a new era of data mining of indigenous communities, and we really want to get out ahead of the, the ways that um, tribal communities have been exploited in the past. And there are many relatives, elders, aunties, uncles, um, people in my generation and young people as well. Um, you know, the 
recent uh-huh. water protector movement that was sparked on Standing Rock by our youth leadership. We've, we have consulted with our youth leaders as well, and we've asked them how they want to learn the language. And, you know, we really want to highlight okay. the indigenous... Jennifer, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just need to to keep the the conversation moving. So I'm glad you mentioned that, consulting with these younger people and how they would like to learn language, because I think that that's really the question I think we want to know now. Okay, so um, LLC, they're gone, right? They they are no longer working there at the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. They are persona non grata. So what's next? Okay, what conversations uh, need to take place now? that there has been this ban and now you folks are, and hopefully you'll get all these resources back if you have not already. So now how do you take over these language revitalization efforts at Standing Rock without the Lakota Language Consortium? Well, I think as Wania mentioned, the Lakota Language Consortium actually left Standing Rock um, many years ago. Um, They have not held local summer institutes. They haven't been present um, in our community and um, I think that the young folks that we've spoken to as part of our working group that developed this resolution over the past um, many months, we started work on this in November of 2021, um, young people really want to know the realities of Lakota literacy. Um, there's many materials out there that young people have been using in addition to Lakota language consortium materials. So. One really important text um, from the 1990s is Reading and Writing the Lakota Language by Albert Whitehat Sr. And it's important for us to acknowledge our Rosebud um, relatives and the resolutions that their leadership passed um, many years ago, adopting that orthography as their official writing system. And we took inspiration from that. We also consulted with youth leaders and elders from Cheyenne River, who had also passed a similar resolution to protect um, our cultural resources and our traditional cultural knowledge from outside entities. Um, And, you know, the young people that we've spoken with, they want to learn about all the writing systems that our people have been using for many generations. You know, we have so many tribal colleges that have been established on um, Ocheti Shakoni homelands for many decades now. And Teachers, elders, speakers have been writing and communicating and using our language long before LLC came along and came up with a new writing system. And we want to acknowledge and recognize the work of um, the Catches and Curly and White Butterfly and White Hat and other writing systems that, that exist and continue to be used in our communities, including on Standing Rock. Well, let's go back to the phones. We're going to try Petra again up in Standing Rock on KLND. Petra, are you there? I'm here. Good afternoon. Thanks, Petra. Um, you know, as Jennifer and Wania are talking, um, when I spoke to the Tribal Council the first time, I talked about the, you know, the when the resolution was passed, really it was broad. And it wasn't specific in, in, in regards to data sovereignty there really is a need for the communities and the tribes to have public forums and really to develop research codes in regards to intellectual property rights. And so that's a huge, broad topic. And so, we, you know, um, Deborah, Dr. Deborah Harry actually created, um, has coined the term biocolonialism. And so um, really this is um, the cart before the horse. And I don't think LLC really has um, done the, the things that other researchers have done in regards to 
the damage that research has done in Indian country. And so one of the things in academia is that one of the practices, and it's also along with one of the cultural practices, is that you acknowledge where the source of your your knowledge and information comes from. So when you open the books, such as the dictionary and the grammar book, there's the acknowledgement of where all that information comes from, from all those fluent speakers and those elders. And so when you're talking about copyright in academia and um you know, you it, like you and I, we can't take a book and and copy it and take the pictures and put it into an app and then and then say that it's ours. Like we created it and we drew all those pictures. That that's plagiarism. You can't do that. And so that's that's very important for people to understand. But if you haven't been in academia and you don't have that proper training then you think it's a free-for-all. And I think that goes into another dangerous stereotype, and I deal with it as a director for a tribal program in the funding from the tribal government, I mean, from the federal government, is that Indian people are supposed to do things for free because it's part of our culture. But in reality, our elders need um, a livable wage. They need to be compensated for the work that they do. And so in the same token, there has to be sustainability when it comes to language revitalization and the work, um, the the um, resources that are developed. You have to have okay. printing. You have to have a printing press. You have to be able to. All right, Petra, I'm sorry I got to cut you off. We got more calls here coming in right now. We've got Alan listening on KOYA in Rosebud, South Dakota. Alan, you're on the air. Hello, can you hear me? Loud and clear, Alan. Okay, great. Yeah, it's it's just crazy to hear all this debate. Oh. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Continue. Oh, sorry, I hear some weird feedback. But, um, yeah, I, I'm uh, just really crazy how all of this is um, uh, playing out. Yeah, yeah. So and, did, did, um, did you have – what do you want to say, Alan? I'm just saying that um, there's there's a lot of uh, issues going on. There's been a lot of divide over language, and uh, I'm just really disappointed to see us all arguing about it. And I really would love for us to just kind of come together. And there's just so many perspectives here that um, I really wish uh, we could hear everyone and just sit down and talk this out and get it over with. Alan, I appreciate that. Thank you for those comments. I'm just trying to have to, to move the conversation along because we have more callers. Let's bring in Harry now. He's listening on KIPI and Cheyenne River. Harry, you're on the air. Good afternoon. How am I talking about My name is Harry Lothander, and I'm from Cheyenne River, Sioux Tribe, Eagle Butte, South Dakota. And I have a comment. Um, Based on this LLC, um, I seen the initial works of this probably 25 years ago when the um, person that came from the Western Europe and uh, stayed with my auntie. And uh, I didn't know it was going to come to this at this part, this time, and this uh, area. Um, but um, my auntie passed, and uh, she gave me some uh, clues and information how to... Uh, look forward to protecting our language and uh, she is a language protector and speaker and a fluent speaker 
and I really praise her. And then I think that we need to keep this updated to see what's going on because Ray um, has the right and Lakota people, and I'm speaking um, as a spokesperson for a Lakota language, and I'm a teacher. And um, I think uh, what we need to do is, like the other speaker said, I think we need to be to forefront and have this out in the open uh, at one place so that a lot of people can comment and get this going and settle this. Okay. It's all right, we have time for just one more quick call. We've got Kevin. He's listening on KLND and Standing Rock. Kevin, you need to make your point quick and concise. You've got the air. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, Kevin Locke, Wakapala, uh, Standing Rock uh, tribal citizen. I've been involved in uh, in the language, Lakota language revitalization for over 50 years, looked at all the orthographies, and... Um, I'm also a, a member of the board of the LLC, and it's uh, to me it's uh, it's it's unbelievable the amount of materials that uh, have been made available now, and the clarity, and also the orthography is based squarely on the uh, pioneer work of our own Ella Deloria, who was a great scholar, linguist uh, from uh, Wakpala. Actually, she she's enrolled at Yankton, but she grew up at Wakapala. And so the orthography is based squarely on her. And now we have uh, Lakota language as one of the most, uh, the best documented uh, North American languages. And it's very accessible. So I want to say thank you for airing this, for uh, making all this information available. Thank you, Sean. You bet. You bet, Kevin. Appreciate that call. And, and folks, unfortunately, we've reached the end of the hour. I think we could keep taking calls for another hour or two. But I, I do want to thank all of our guests and all of our callers, too, for sharing insights and information regarding control and ownership of language resources for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Join us next week for another lineup of shows. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPollin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanik Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Have a great weekend. Support by the Facundo Valdez School of Social Work at Highlands University, now offering the opportunity to earn a culturally relevant, clinical, Master of Social Work degree without leaving your own community. This online MSW degree focuses on a small, supportive model with a clinical concentration. Students in rural areas, tribal communities, and or who live far from campus are given preference. Application can be made in three easy steps. More info and application at online.nmhu.edu. centers for medicare and medicaid services
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.